Welcome to the worship from the West Highland Peninsula Churches. It's well into September and we're seeing the first signs of autumn. The days are drawing in, shorter hours of daylight. On the hills there are patches of gold and purple, gold of the dying back bracken and purple of the heather. The leaves on the trees are starting to turn. Now wherever you are, and I know some of you join us from a long way away, you may be seeing the same signs of autumn or different signs of the seasons. Our two Bible readings today come from places far further south than this. The first reading from the Old Testament book of Judges is set about 11-1200 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and it's set in the Holy Land. The second reading from the New Testament is from the first century after the birth of Jesus and it's a letter sent to someone who lived in Ephesus. Ephesus a city in what is now modern-day Turkey. Our call to worship, some words from Jesus from the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth and the life. Let us worship God.
Let us pray. God of all, we come into your presence this day. We, we come to you lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, in reverence and self-control, knowing that you love us dearly. We come from different experiences this day and arrive in different places mentally and physically. But we are happy to gather with you for worship in our homes or in our sanctuaries. Creator God, we have done what is wrong in your sight again and we cry out for your help. We lament for your creation, for warring factions that destroy what humanity has made and humanity itself and the world in which we live. Forgive our hubris. We do not care for others as Jesus taught us to do and too often we fail to practice peacemaking. Deborah was wise in judgment, following your ways and we know that you are a forgiving God. Hold us in the palm of your hand safely. Let us turn to Jesus for direction, inspiration and encouragement. In whose name we pray. Amen. Judges chapter 4 from verse 1. Deborah. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes settled. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. First Timothy chapter 2 from verse 1 Instructions on Worship I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, 
adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. The letters in the New Testament were written to particular people, in particular places, and at particular times. They provided encouragement and guidance for the fledgling congregations. Congregations that had often grown considerably since they'd first heard the preaching of the good news. With growth often came problems. And so the letters address specific issues often local issues. This is not to say that the letters have no relevance for us today. Much of the guidance transcends time and place. But we might want to consider what it meant when the letter was actually written. We've just heard a short extract from a letter to Timothy who was in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the great cities of the Roman Empire a centre of artistic, philosophical and intellectual activity, a place where new ideas emerged and gained followers. Christianity itself grew in this environment. But perversions of Christianity also grew up. Some of these came from sects of Judaism and others from pagan religions. In the opening chapter of the letter, the writer, often thought to be Paul, stresses the need to keep the congregations on the right track, to stop false teaching, which was wrong in itself, but also occupied people in clever but meaningless or misleading debates, and drew them away from focusing on the true Christian message of love. Some words from that first chapter. Stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and genealogies. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience and a genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of God's law, but they don't know what they're talking about even though they speak so confidently. The rest of the letter contains guidance for dealing with these problems at Ephesus. The writer reiterates that God's purpose is 
that all people should be saved, and everyone come to know the truth, that there is only one God, and that there is only one way that people can reach God. That way is through Jesus. When the congregations gather, it should be for worship, for prayer, not for heated debate. For prayer and growth in holiness and love. The writer goes on to say that men should lift up holy hands without anger or disputing, and that women should dress modestly, not ostentatiously. One gets the picture of Christian gatherings in Ephesus being very lively, and not in a good way. Some of the men are more concerned about arguing for their personal view than worshiping God, listening to God. It seems that some of the women view it as a fashion parade with ostentatious displays of wealth, intentionally or unintentionally, drawing attention to the differences between rich and poor. Neither of these behaviours nurture or promote love. Love, welcome and inclusion of all. One family, God's family. Rich and poor, educated and uneducated, free and slave. Neither of the behaviours help people, men or women, grow closer to God. And then to spread the gospel, the good news by their lives. There needed to be some very solid teaching to bring people back on track. That teaching had to be delivered by people who themselves had been taught correctly. And in Ephesus, the people entrusted with teaching were to be men. In the setting of the time. It would have been men who usually fulfilled leadership roles. In general, they would have received far more education than women. It may also have been that in Ephesus, some of the false teaching was particularly popular with women who were actively spreading it. Now, whilst some sections of the church today. See the verses about women learning in quietness, in submission, not teaching or assuming authority over a man, as being authoritative for all times and places. Other sections of the church see them as particularly applying to the time and place to which they were written, to the issues at Ephesus. Certainly, there are women in the Bible who've been called by God to leadership roles. We heard part of the story of Deborah early, and may hear more about her in next week's service. Then we come to the final verses of our reading, the references to Adam and Eve, and the statement that women will be saved through childbearing. Few, if any, scholars 
believe that those words mean that in order to be saved, women must bear a child. Throughout history, there have been women who have been unable to have a child. The idea that they would have no hope of salvation does not fit with a God who loves us. Since the phrase is linked to a reference to the story of Adam and Eve, some think that whereas Eve, the first woman, is associated with sin, Jesus, who saves all from sin, came into the world through the childbearing of another woman, Mary. The verse is sometimes translated as Women will be saved by the birth of the child, meaning Jesus. Other explanations include that the verse means that women will be kept safe during childbearing, or that by fulfilling the responsibilities of motherhood, women will live holy lives. There are verses and passages that we're just not sure about. But how does this letter speak to us today? It strongly reminds us that the purpose of our gathering is to worship God and to listen to him. That we should value and welcome all, whatever their background, not behaving in such a way that we accentuate differences and make other people feel uncomfortable. It's possible to do this without even realising it. We should be aware of the trap of false teaching. So much seemingly authoritative information circulates in the media, on the internet, on social media. Some of it is very good and helpful. There are some well-researched documentaries, discussion programmes and articles in the media. The internet is also a great source of information. But we do need to be aware that some of the information is untrue and even dangerous. Some of this will be overtly about our faith, about Christianity, about Jesus. Some will be less obviously connected but may be trying to encourage us to behave in ways that are at odds with our faith, at odds with love. We need to be ever aware that there are people and powers who seek to draw us away from following Jesus. When we hear new theories, when someone is trying to influence or pressurise us into acting in a particular way, the one sure way to test this is to see how it fits with the words and actions of Jesus. We follow Jesus. Jesus the way. Jesus the truth. Jesus the life. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, God of the Israelites, God of the Gentiles, God of ourselves. We follow the example of others as we cry out to you for help. 
Throughout Scripture, we are encouraged to pray for the needs of others and listen for your word. We come before you now, corporately, but also individually, silently praying to the one who intercedes with sighs too deep for words. We pray for your creation, for the small daily judgments we can make to help creation heal, for each step taken to preserve this beautiful planet of ours. May we unite with other faiths and countries to pray for restoration of your vision and to act upon recommendations to reduce our consumerism, our apathy and our waste. We pray for your church in all its fullness. We pray for communities that are reimagining church life together, that they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let us work together with all faith groups in our communities to unify your message of love to all. We pray for our leaders in our churches that they recognise the need for change, but allowing them the grace to implement that change and remind them that you go before them in any situation. As your disciples, let us not create impossible situations for ourselves by trying to be superhuman, but remind us to rely on you. Rely on you as a source of our strength and decision-making. Give us the wisdom to be faithful to what you call us to be, using our unique gifts wisely in the tasks before us, seeking you in prayer before making decisions. Help us to follow the Spirit's leading rather than succumbing to the pressures in our culture. We pray the Spirit continues to bless and guide the Church and unite believers in our mission to represent God's love to the world. All these prayers we offer through the one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus. Amen. We come to our offerings when we consider how we respond to all that God gives us. What do we offer of our time, our talents, our money? Let us pray. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the splendor and the majesty. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. All things come from you, and of your own do we give you. May our offerings be used in your service. And we draw our prayers together in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory for ever. Amen.
May we always be aware of your presence with us, Lord. May we follow you the way, know you the truth, and live with you the life. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with us, with all whom we love, and with all God's children everywhere. Amen.